I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. By the time you hear my voice again next Sunday night, the Giants uh, will have started to play some football games that count. To look ahead, break down the Giants and the season ahead, uh, we bring in Dan Duggan from The Athletic. Does a great job covering the Giants. Hey, Dan, how are you? I'm good. How you doing, Larry? I'm doing well. Um, you know, we'll talk about the roster. We'll talk big picture. But there was one move in the last few days that I think stood out and, and maybe caught some people by surprise. Maybe we shouldn't have been. But the Giants cut their what we thought was their starting inside linebacker, Blake Martinez. He was a captain last season, not voted a captain this season. But... Uh, it didn't seem like there was that much of a salary cap benefit to do this. He seemed to be one of the, you know, better 53 players on this roster. So can you explain why was Blake Martinez cut by the current uh, Giants regime? Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I'm still trying to get to the bottom of that because uh, it definitely was a surprise that he was cut. At the same time, when you look back with the benefit of hindsight of seeing what the end result was, it isn't that crazy only because it was obvious that this new regime just did not value him the way the previous regime did, which is often the case. Um, you know, he took a significant pay cut when he's dealing with a torn ACL, so he basically had no leverage. So they kind of squeezed him uh, as much as they could in March and he accepted it at the time. But then even as we progressed here, uh, you know, they took the signal caller role away from him. They gave that to Xavier McKinney. Now, that wasn't a slight on him. I mean, that's just how Wink Martindale likes to have his defense called. But at the same time, that's been Blake's role. Uh, as you mentioned, the captain vote. I mean, they have 10 captains. Pretty much, if you're a veteran, you have a C on your shirt, and Martinez didn't get elected. Now, granted, that's a player vote, not a coach's assigned thing, but still kind of suggests kind of where he's viewed um, you know, in that locker room. Something's obviously changed. Now, I mean, I've heard that uh, it was kind of a mutual decision, and I, I haven't really gotten the exact uh, explanation on kind of both sides of you know, what made this the ultimate uh, outcome. Uh, but I think clearly he probably felt uh, he was sort of just, you know, getting pushed to the side and maybe feels like it's just best to, to start fresh. But, I mean, if the Giants knew he wasn't a fit, they probably would have just cut him in March and, and it would have saved him $2 million against the cap, which is, you know, crucial for this team where they are right now. So uh, something clearly went uh, went awry here in the last couple of weeks. Because, I mean, it doesn't really make sense on the surface to cut him strictly based on cap or football because whatever you think, you want to hear people say, oh, he wasn't a fit. He's a, he's a much better player than the other linebackers they have on the roster. So you'd, you'd make it work if you're a good coach. And I think, you know, Wink Martindale is that. So it feels like there's something more uh, that no one's really reported yet. So obviously we'll keep trying to do that. But there has to be something that happened within the last week uh, to make this decision because it, it definitely came out of nowhere at this time. If they did in March, it wouldn't have been a surprise. Doing it now is. 
And if I look back over the past months and this new regime, um, maybe an earlier surprise again was um, cutting Logan Ryan. Um, can understand if that's a big cap benefit, but at the time didn't seem like that was a big cap benefit, but just that they wanted to move on from that player. And so, uh, you know, what is it, what can, you know, what should we, um, what are you or what should we take away from what seems to be a pattern here? Yeah, and, and the longer I'm on, again, it was kind of surprising at the time because of the cap implications. We knew they were going to be really trying up the cap, and that move didn't create any cap space. In fact, it's really, it's, currently, it's, it's costing them cap space because he filed a grievance because he had an injury, and that's a whole other topic. But uh, as it stands right now, while that's still uh, waiting to be resolved, they, they lost cap space in that move. So it's not a move to make cap space. You know, he's obviously been a good player. You can say he's in decline. But I think that one was much more of a sort of a culture thing. And not, not that Logan Ryan is bad for the culture, but he was very much a Joe Judge, Patrick Graham guy. You're bringing in a totally different regime with different philosophies. They want different leaders, and Logan had a big voice in that locker room. Uh, so I, I understood that one in that respect, and that was in March. So that was at a time where that's usually when you make those moves. Again, that's what separates the Blake Martinez move. Doing it so close to the season doesn't really make as much sense when I feel like there has to be more to the story. Uh, but the overall point is, you know, a new broom sweeps clean, and that's always the case in the NFL. I mean, you see it every time there's regime change. There's guys who get – uh, you know, sort of pushed to the side. New guys come in who have been with the coaching staff in previous regimes. So that's nothing new. So uh, that's definitely what happened with Logan Ryan to an extent. It's happened with Blake Martinez. And James Bradbury was another veteran. His was strictly cap. I mean, yeah. really would have to keep right. him. But, but it is just how it goes. If, if Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman were here, those three players would still be here. New regime. They make changes. They kind of out with the old uh, and in with their guys. So big picture stepping back. And we mentioned – you know, here are a couple of moves that were made and by the new regime and from a cap standpoint, whether that was timing or whatever, hasn't helped what was already a very challenging cap space. So stepping back, looking at all of this, what have you felt that new Giants general manager, first year general manager, Joe Shane, what has he done well so far? And what do you feel like have been some areas, whether those are learning on the job or maybe have not gone either according to plan or have not gone as well? Yeah, well, I think just uh, conceptually, the biggest thing he's done significantly better than Dave Gettleman is he understands the situation he's inheriting. Like Dave Gettleman came in in 2018, looked at a 3-13 and roster with an aging quarterback and said, I can pass this together and win with, you know, draft the running back number two, sign Nate Solder, all these moves that you know, obviously have not panned out. Whereas I think Shane has come up with a very measured approach. Like, listen, you might have to get worse before you get better, and that's how you can stomach losing guys like Bradbury and, and Logan Ryan and Blake Martinez because he's got a big picture view here. I mean, he's been through it in Buffalo where, you know, I think people kind of forget in Buffalo, they got hired after the draft in 2017. But that 2017 season, they made the playoffs with Tyron Taylor as the quarterback, and they moved on from after the year. They got rid of some veterans. They obviously drafted Josh Allen, and, and they went backwards. And then, obviously, now we see where they are. And I think – that makes them comfortable that, listen, this year might not be great, but they're looking at 2023, 24, and beyond if they kind of follow the same blueprint that worked in Buffalo. And, and obviously, I'm sure we'll get to this, but a big part of that will be uh, the future of quarterback is, is the biggest decision hanging over everything. But I think just Shane acknowledging that, like, I can't come in here and, and kick the can down the road with a cap and, and make some splashy for agent signings to try and get us over the hump. Like, he's inheriting a 4-13 and team. It was 4-13 and for a reason. They have to have that big picture view. I mean, it's hard to be really critical of anything he's done because, again, he hasn't done anything crazy. He hasn't made any big free agent signings with the draft. I mean, 
he took the guys who I think most people would say were probably the two best players on the board uh, with that fifth and seventh pick. And you know, beyond that, it's obviously crazy to, to evaluate how a third-round pick is going to pan out when they haven't even played a game yet. Uh, you know, I think, like, the Bradbury situation, I don't think he maximized the value there. He was kind of in a tough spot, but um, that's one where you would have liked to see somehow, you know, pull something off. But, again, it was, it was a tough spot. So it's hard to really criticize anything yet. I mean, it's 0-0, so he hasn't played a game yet. Uh, I think the real evaluations will start probably next offseason see how his rookie draft picks pan out, but then really what they do at quarterback going forward, that's, you know, that's what all these guys basically their job status hinges on, and the Giants are going to have some big decisions to make there, obviously. Yeah, it does seem like the message that, as opposed to Dave Gettleman, and who may have thought that somehow you can rebuild and win now and all this stuff, um, it, it feels like Joe Shane is trying to manage expectations that this yeah. this is not necessarily going to be a great season. So with that in mind, as you look at the roster, what would, and you mentioned the quarterback, um, what would a successful season, given this roster and where they are with the rebuild, what would a successful season look like for the New York Giants? And is that about win-loss totals, or is that about um, you know some other factors like the quarterback? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you asked me that question because we've been trying to ask Joe Shane that question. <laughs> he won't touch that with the 10-foot pole. Like, no, no GM or coach or anyone ever wants to put, you know, we need to win 10 games. You know, but, you know, it's nice you hear about the playoffs. Or you, the, the thing they're just kind of coaching with is progress and wants to see their head in the right direction. I mean, we've heard that obviously many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the John Maris line the last few years, and we haven't seen it, and that's why there's been so much turnover. But I really think that is the case with these guys because they're inheriting a lot of a lot of the key players here are guys they inherited. Like, they didn't draft Andrew Jones. They didn't tra- uh, draft Nickel Barker. They didn't sign Kenny Galladay. You can go on and on. And these are guys they're relying on. So you can't necessarily hold them accountable if this core can't win, you know, because, again, it's just not the guys that they maybe would have chosen or signed. So I think it is a big part of they got to get, you know, some of these buzzwords like get their culture in here, find some pieces. I mean, I, obviously you'd like to see them win more than four games, but I, I don't think that's a lock. I mean, I, I, they have an easier schedule. Don't get me wrong. Like it would be very disappointing if they win four games or less. But I don't think it's going to be wins or losses are going to determine. I think it's really going to be do they have some foundational pieces, like it's Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal and Wondell Robinson. Are those guys looking like, okay, we have pieces that are going to be part of the next winning Giants team? Because I don't think it's going to be this year. It's, it's going to be looking more to the future. Talking to Dan Duggan about the Giants. And um, what is on this team as you look forward? Um, the You know, in your mind, what's the strongest position group? Oh, that's a tough question, which is not, not good. I, I guess you, feel, <laughs> you probably feel the best about the outside linebacker room in the sense that uh, you know, obviously the pass rush has been a weakness here since, you know, probably Jason Pierre-Paul and Olivier Vernon, and that was only for a, a short time. But, um, you know, with Aziz Ojolari, with Kayvon Thibodeau, you feel like you potentially have two top-line edge rushers. Again, it's been a while since this franchise has had that, and as we all know, that's been sort of, you know, when they're winning, it's because of those, you know, those pass rushers. So the idea they might have two guys there. I mean, there's other guys that, you know, Ellerson Smith is kind of a, a guy that picked in the fourth round last year, you could hope maybe develops into something. But if you have those two guys as top line guys, and they're young, so we don't know yet. Uh, but if you want me to like look at a position that you can feel good about, I think that's the the first one I go to. And then the other one, again, it's based on young youth is offensive tackle. If Andrew Thomas mm-hmm. and Evan Neal are as good as you know, Thomas looks like he's already on his way. If Neal lives up to you know everyone, everything everyone expects, you have two bookend tackles for the next decade, and that obviously will take you a long way. 
And then worst position group, I think it's hard to beat the inside linebackers, but you you tell me. Uh, you know, with the cutting of Blake Martinez, Tay Crowder is quite relevant as a as a starter there, but but you know I'm I'm somewhat stunned at the um, at what they have at, at inside linebacker. But you tell me, is cornerback or some other position worse? Yeah, I mean when you got rid of Martinez, that, that certainly uh, enters the conversation big time because yeah, I think Tay Crowder at best is a, is a number two inside linebacker. So now you're allowing him to be the number one guy, and then you're talking about you know, like a rookie like Mike McFadden or a journeyman like Austin Kalitra, like not guys that are going to really excite anybody, you know, maybe McFadden develops, so that's asking a lot as a rookie. But I still think the weakest position on this roster is tight end. I mean, you have a a fourth-round rookie, Daniel Bellinger, who rookie tight ends, it's usually a struggle anyways, unless you're Kyle Pitts. So not only is he coming in and expecting to play a lot, he's the number one tight end. So they're going to have to really sink or swim with a guy who's, you know, making that adjustment, which is not easy. Um, and then beyond him, I mean, I dare any Giants fan to like name me the rest of the tight end chart because it's it's Chris Myrick who is most you know known for his catch like in between his legs last year in the game where they beat the Eagles at home. That's like one of his only few NFL catches. And then a guy Tanner Hudson who they signed a week ago who makes the team uh, and he has about five career catches. So it is not a very distinguished group. I think it's you know realistic to have hopes that Bellinger. Uh, can develop into a solid tight end, but it's asking a lot as a rookie for him to come out and play that position and, and be a factor. So that position is, is really lean, but now inside linebacker without Martinez uh, is giving it a run for its money. All right, so there's tight end, and the wide receiver room, I think um, a kind description would be enigmatic, but, <laughs> um, it, it, you know, if you and I are having a conversation this winter, um who would you? Who do you think we are most likely to be talking about at that time as the Giants' leading wide receiver at the end of the season? Well, enigmatic's a good word. I'm trying to figure out what you would come up with. That's a good one because I mean that position. You talk about best or worst. It could kind of be on either extreme because there is a ton of talent there, but also not a lot of reliability, not a lot of durability. But if if they're going to have a surprisingly good season, especially offensively, it's going to be because that group is healthy and is productive because they they have potential there. So if you're asking me who I think will be the leading receiver. I, I said this the day he got activated from Pup with Sterling Shepard. I know that's kind of like maybe a bold take, but when he's healthy, which I know is a big, you know, kind of a big if for him in the last couple of years, when he's healthy, he's been really productive. He just can't stay on the field. So I'm playing the averages that maybe he's due for, you know, maybe like 14 or 15 games this season because I do think when he's on the field, he has a chemistry with Daniel Jones. I think his skill set fits his offense like a glove where you need a guy who's going to be able to, you know, get open, be shifty, uh, create separation for quick passes. I think that's what he does really well. So I think he'll be the lead receiver. But if you're asking me who I'm the Giants, so I want it to be, I want it to be Darius Tony because right. he's a guy, if he can play 15, 16, 17 games, he should be super productive. I and mean, obviously we all saw that game against the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you'd like it to not only be referred to one game for the rest of his career. You'd like to have <laughs> you know, five or six or seven games like that. And then you're talking about a Pro Bowl if he does that consistently. Uh, but I think they would just settle for being on the field, being reliable, because that's you know certainly the biggest question mark even. You know, it's carried over this year with the spring and with training camp and the preseason. He's just never on the field. So if they can figure out a way to get him on the field consistently, I think the talent will kind of do the rest. Um, but he, you know, enigmatic, you know, that description fits into it. Too. Yeah. And how about Saquon Barkley? You know, a lot of people are going to have their fantasy football drafts um, tomorrow, let's say, you know, mm-hmm. and, and here's that last minute. All right. I'm going to go into a fantasy football draft. 
What would you say to folks who are looking at Saquon Barkley and in the past maybe had him on their do not draft list, but suddenly if you are following the Giants closely and some improvements in that offensive line or run blocking, um, what kind of season do you think Saquon Barkley is poised to have? Yeah, well, it's funny to put it like that fancy f- football perspective. I think if you're if you're in on him, you should be all in on him. If you're questionable to help, then it's just be out because uh, if he's healthy, uh, you know he's we've seen what he can do, and it's just been a problem where he hasn't been able to you know play at that level from his rookie year, even his second year, because he just has not been healthy. Uh, but he looks great this summer. I mean, he really looks just as dynamic, just as explosive. Um, so I think there's every reason to believe that if he stays healthy, again, it's a problem. Every time you talk about a guy on the team, it's an if or this and that. So. If he stays healthy, I think he's poised to have a big-time year. Uh, you know, he touched on the offense. I think it should really suit him. It's definitely going to be the best offensive line he's run behind. Uh, I don't think that's even in question. And then he definitely has a, a huge chip on his shoulder. You can't discount that he's in a contract year. I think, you know, two or three years ago, everyone would have thought he was the next guy in line for, you know, one of those Christian McCaffrey-type contracts. That's not the case. He has to go and earn it this year. So, never hurts to have a guy with a little extra motivation, especially one that's his pocketbook. So, uh, I think he's going to have a big year. I, I still think that's going to create a really interesting decision with what they do next year for him uh, long-term. But I think for this year, for the 2022 Giants, I think he's going to be a very valuable piece. I think he's going to have a great year. Yeah, you mentioned in terms of long-term, on a rebuilding football team that I think you and I both think will be a losing football team, not be particularly good this season. And if that's the case in a rebuild, um I don't know, you know, how can you even next year, given the injury history, even if he has a good season, how can you, and when you look around the league, whether it's Ezekiel Elliott or others, um, at those, Christian McCaffrey, you know, whatever, you look at the history of those big second contracts for running back and the way the position is valued these days, how, if you're the Giants in the new regime, could you sign him to a big second contract? Yeah, and, and Joe Shane's coming from a place in Buffalo where they had a ton of success and great offense with guys they're drafting you know, in the middle rounds of the draft. They were not investing top dollar, whether it be draft capital or free agency. They were just kind of plugging guys in. Because obviously the quarterback drove the bus there. So that's that's going to be the key piece for this organization is getting the quarterback to be that guy. And again, maybe it can turn out to be Daniel Jones. Either way, if it's going to be Daniel Jones, he's going to have an enormous cap hit. So then can you afford to pay a running back too? I, I would think not. The one scenario I can see with Saquon is Say they do move on from Daniel Jones. They're going to have a rookie uh, quarterback coming in. Maybe a franchise Saquon. I don't know how happy he would be. That would be a kind of a fascinating subplot next offseason. But if he has a healthy, really productive year, do you really want to let him walk? Or do you say, let's franchise tag him? The running back franchise tag is not that big. Maybe that's the kind of splitting the baby for them there where you can keep him for one more year, let the rookie quarterback have a dynamic weapon at his disposal. But, again, that, that's where it gets dicey because I'm sure if Saquon has a big year, he's going to say, I've waited long enough. I played on my old rookie contract my fifth year. I don't want to have another year of, you know, below market value when you compare him to some of these other top running backs. So that's a fascinating subplot that we could encounter next year. But, I mean, that's a good problem to have for the Giants because that means he was healthy uh, and successful during this season. All right, and finally, we've been talking around it, so let's go there. The quarterback, Daniel Jones. <laughs> new regime we've been talking about. They, they, you know, a new regime frequently does want to reset and go to the draft and start with their own guy. What? You know, does Daniel Jones even have much of a shot at all to be able to impress this new regime and actually get that um, opportunity to be the long-term franchise quarterback with the Giants? 
I mean, I think he has a shot in the sense that if you know all goes according to plan, he's going to start 17 games this season, so he'll have plenty of chance to to present his case. I just think that you know, kind of the deck is kind of stacked against him. I mean, Joe Shane and Brian Dable came in here; they have seen him in the league now for three years, and they declined his fifth-year option. I mean, you always got to go go by what these guys do rather than what they say. So all the nice things they say about Daniel Jones, they had a decision: is this guy worth 20 plus million dollars next year? And they said no. Now, they can still obviously franchise him, extend him if he has a great year, but they still are hedging against that happening. So I think that you can't ever lose sight of that. But listen, he's going to get this year. I mean, I know there's different pockets during camp. We're like, oh, could Tyro Taylor you know, take the job? That, that would make no sense. It wouldn't really start the franchise unless he is just like so bad that, you know, they'll you know, lose the locker room. Like, they can try him out there. But in terms of potentially having a long-term answer, you need to exhaust the Daniel Jones uh you know, career here and just see if maybe he can, you know, they can find the magic he showed at times during his rookie year. But I just, I just think it's hard to see that happening. I mean, again, I don't think they're a very good team. So, you know, if he has a good year and they win seven games, like, not enough to say, yeah, we're going to give this guy 30 plus million dollars. I mean, I don't see that. I think that they're going to try and follow, like I said, that Buffalo blueprint, whereas if, even if Dan Jones has a pretty good year, it's like the Tyrod Taylor situation. Like, well, thank you for your services. We're going to move on and then go get our guy that we're going to pitch up. Joe Shane is, He's at the Ohio State Notre Dame game last night. Like he's not sitting around waiting. You have to start that scouting process now. He's mm-hmm. going to be doing a deep dive on all these quarterbacks for the next, you know, nine months, whatever it is, for the draft. So he's going to prepare as if that's the case. It's supposedly a good class. Surely he's going to fall in love with some guys. You know, however they can go up to get him. That, that already has seen. But it just feels like you take this job, you're Joe Shane. You're saying I'm going to go get my Josh Allen. If, if somehow they luck into it, and then Daniel Jones becomes him, you know, great. And that's one big decision off your chest, uh, off your table. But I think, again, the odds are, are against that based on what we've seen to date and just the fact that, you know, as you said, it's a new regime. They're changing a lot of things over. You would think the most important position on the field would be one they're going to want to get their guy in here and, and you know build them up like they did with Josh Allen. I know it's an easy schedule, but here's the last question. Um, you know, what is your record predict, uh, prediction? Yeah, I mean, I went, I went 5-12, and 12 and it's, that's uh, certainly not too optimistic. But you also look at this team. I know, yep. it's, you know it's different different coaches, different players, but they haven't won more than, what, six games in however many years. So mm-hmm. it's not that wild to think that they're going to be in that same ballpark because that's sort of what they've been. And again, I think that's fine. I think that this regime, uh, hopefully John Merritt actually follows through on having patience, gives them time to build it the right way, build it their way. Um, but yeah, it's an easier schedule, so maybe they can steal a couple games. But at the same time, I, I, I say this every time I talk about their schedule, if you're a Jaguars fan, if you're a Seahawks fan, you look at the Giants and say, hey, that's an easy game. You know what I mean? It, it yep. comes both ways. I don't think the Giants are going to just go and win all of those winnable games. I mean, they, they still have a long way to go in a lot of departments as we, as we talked about some of their positions. So, uh, yeah, I think five wins. You know, if they get the six or seven, great. But, honestly, they might be better served to go the other way yeah. to help their draft stock to go yeah. get a quarterback, you know. But, yep. uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a tough year. But I think you're just looking at this as the, the baseline and you're going to just build from here, hopefully. Yeah, I went with five and 12 last week uh, for what it's worth on the radio as well. All right, so, so we're... I said best case scenario is seven, worst case is three. I'll meet in the middle of uh, four of those screen go. games, and I think I'm, I'm looking at five and 12. Uh, Dan Duggan does a fantastic job of covering the Giants in the athletic. Um, it's worth investing in. I actually uh, do. So uh, appreciate the time. We'll catch up with you soon. All right, great. Thanks, Butler. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.